This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year, with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Good morning. I'm Jane Pauley, and this is Sunday Morning. It's been called the last ism, ageism. In a country that celebrates youth, no small number of older adults say they routinely face prejudice or discrimination based on their age. From casual slights to comments in job interviews, even jokes and greeting cards, the message to those on the north side of 50 seems to be getting old is a liability. This morning, Susan Spencer on the A Word. At 64, entrepreneur Teresa Harrison has found success with her own tech startup. And the best part may be that she is happy to defy our youth-obsessed culture. We see younger across all industries getting all of the PR and the attention. So you don't have any doubt but that we live in an ageist society? Absolutely. I have no doubt at all. The age-old question of ageism, ahead on Sunday morning. Then it's on to Laughing Matters with Adam Sandler, on a roll with a stand-up tour 
and a new movie. He's talking with Tracy Smith. And we're off. Here we go. Adam Sandler's newest character is nothing like his old ones, but his mom wasn't wild about those anyway. I don't know who she thought I was going to be. She just was like, would comment on stop cursing so much. Why do you make such a goofy face? She didn't like your goofy faces? She was like, yeah, we paid for braces, you know. The seriously funny Adam Sandler, later on Sunday morning. As we pause this Veterans Day weekend to honor those who've served in our nation's military, Lee Cowan has a tale of service and sacrifice high in the mountains of Alaska, bridging past and present. Amid the shale and the ice of this remote mountaintop in Alaska, a promise made more than 70 years ago is finally being kept. My grandfather was out there all those years. When he came off the plane, I kissed his coffin and I said to him, I hope I made you proud and you're finally home. The 52 lost since 1952, waiting to be found and be lonely no more. Their story coming up on Sunday morning. I'll be talking with respected journalist Judy Woodruff about times past and things to come. Plus, Mark Whitaker with filmmaker Ava DuVernay, commentary from historian Douglas Brinkley, a Veterans Day weekend tribute from Steve Hartman, and more. This Sunday morning for the 13th of November, 2022. We'll be back after this. President Biden has a big birthday next weekend. He's turning 80. For some, that prompts the question, how old is too old? But why? Susan Spencer looks at the slights and wrongs of ageism. Teresa Harrison's approach to getting old never gets old. <laughs> you can tell I'm excited about my age. You, you seem to be. Now, yes. why is that? I've become more innovative. I've become more creative. I've become more curious. At 64, her energy is impressive, as are her skills. The Baltimore-based technology company she founded handles cybersecurity for the Department of Defense. And when did she start it? I was in my 50s when I founded George Street Services. I mean, the stereotype is of the hotshot 19-year-old in the garage, right, mm -hmm. with all these wacko ideas. That is me, just add another 30 years. But in the tech world, those 30 years often draw unwelcome questions. I've been asked my age. I've been asked, how long are you going to work? Aren't you getting tired? <laughs> are you going to stick around? Do you feel like this has had an impact on, say, getting a contract? I think it does, unfortunately. Can you imagine someone in their 20s or 30s or even their 40s being asked those same questions? And yet, for some reason, it's socially acceptable um, to say those same types of things to a woman in her 60s. Would you call that ageism? Absolutely. University of Oklahoma professor Julie Ober-Allen calls it everyday ageism. Everyday ageism refers to those sort of minor comments, interactions, exposures, um, that suggests that aging is undesirable. So it's things like 
you know, all the birthday cards making jokes about wrinkles and walkers. It's interactions where someone assumes that an older adult can't use their phone or other forms of technology. And it's also when older adults tend to believe some of these assumptions and prejudices about older adults themselves. And every day ageism is everywhere, says Allen, who conducted a large-scale nationwide survey to assess just how pervasive it really is. Over 93% of U.S. older adults between the ages of 50 and 80 experience sort of these, these daily, everyday uh, ageism interactions and experiences frequently. That is an astonishing number. Did you, 93%? Absolutely, yes. We live in a culture that bombards us from childhood on, starting with children's books, about how awful it's going to be to get old, how tragic to encounter any kind of incapacity. And unless we stop to question those messages, they become part of our identity. Getting that word out is Ashton Applewhite's singular mission. So I sold the rights in Korea. Look at this beautiful book. Her book, This Chair Rocks, argues for fighting back. My goal is to help catalyze a grassroots movement like the women's movement to raise awareness of ageism, what it is, what it looks like, what it smells like, and what we can do to dismantle it. Let me just tick off a few things. Tell me if you think this is an example of ageism. Jokey birthday cards, so it takes twice as long to look half as good. Anything that equates youth with better is inherently ageist. Lines, wrinkles, and those little sunken places, not anymore. Anti-aging products, is that ageist just in itself? Absolutely. I mean, it's a multi-million gazillion dollar industry really designed to, frankly, encourage all of us to think that the appearance of older adults isn't attractive. How do you answer when somebody says, ah, you look great for your age? Well, the only snappy answer I've come up with in all this time, you say, you look great for your age, too. (laughs) And let that sit there, because a lot of age-based comments are often well-intended. That is intended as a compliment. But I can't accept that compliment. It suggests that there's a certain way you look at a certain age, and there's no such thing. So to be clear, we're not attacking Joe Biden for falling off his bike at a dead standstill. He's at the age where that can happen. He shouldn't be riding bikes. Well, President Biden is even not immune from this. He has certainly been the brunt of many jokes, if you will, about aging. Sure. So, you know, when our president falls off his bike because of the age group that he represents, it's assumed to have something to do with that. When People across the country fall off their bikes all the time, but if they aren't in that older age group, the reasoning that is sort of provided for why it happened is is typically very different. So it's very well to say, well, we have to get rid of these attitudes. How do you do it? I mean, I think the first step is increasing awareness, and, and it's sort of a prerequisite, but also to really start to make the case that ageism is bad for health and that it's harmful. That's right. Ageism is bad for us, mentally and even physically. Certainly, it may act as a source of chronic stress, leading to increased risk for actually a a pretty broad spectrum of different chronic diseases. And we've also found that ageism is associated with premature mortality. People who experience more ageism are much more likely to die at a younger age. 
Conversely, according to one study, people with an upbeat take on getting older actually live longer, an average of seven and a half years longer. There is some research showing that there are positive health benefits to even having positive attitudes. Do you buy that? 100%. I believe that a positive mindset yields unbelievable results. Harrison says she and her booming business prove it. But contrary to our preconceptions about aging, it turns out she's not unique. The average entrepreneur is not in their 20s. It is not in their 30s. They're actually in their 40s. Uh, 42 was the average wow. number. Professor J. Daniel Kim at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton Business School recently conducted a massive study of successful entrepreneurs, and they are not the kid in the garage. Statistically, if I'm 50 and I think about having a startup tech company, I'm more likely to succeed than if I'm 30. Absolutely. Vera Wang, she was 40 years old when she founded her fashion company, Sam Walton of Walmart was 44. Bernie Marcus at Home Depot was 51 years old. Meanwhile, Teresa Harrison just keeps on keeping on. She says because of her age, not in spite of it. You're inspirational. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and if I ever get older, I'll take all this to heart. <laughs> Please do. It keeps me young. Obviously. <laughs> yes, it does. It does. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Sunday Morning salutes our veterans. Here again is Jane Pauley. Seventy years ago, an American military transport plane crashed in remote Alaska. All on board were lost and, over time, forgotten except by some. Lee Cowan has their story. There are no white crosses amid the blue of Colony Glacier. Even though it's been the resting place for 52 U.S. servicemen, locked in frozen limbo here 
since 1952. It was just five days before Thanksgiving. A C-124 Globemaster like this one, on its way to Elmendorf Air Force Base in Anchorage, lost radio contact during a storm. On board, eight Army soldiers, a Marine Corps major, a Navy commander, and 42 airmen, including Isaac Anderson, who left this letter to his wife behind. When did he write it? He wrote it two hours before he got on the plane. That's his granddaughter, Tanya Anderson Dell. All I want you to do is to write me every day and to stay sweet and be good and take care of my son. His son would tragically never know his father. The wreckage of Anderson's plane was finally found on the mountain after the storm subsided. According to a report detailing the investigation, most of the debris was buried under snow as deep as several hundred feet. Any attempt to locate the passengers on board, it continued, will be an extremely difficult operation. And so, the plane and its occupants were left buried in the snow and the ice. I just couldn't understand that we all stand by, we never leave our fallen behind. And with the technology we have today, you found the Titanic. You're telling me that we can't find a C-124 military plane? This is it, huh? Yep. She met us at the Air Mobility Command Museum in Dover, Delaware, where a C-124, just like her grandfather's, is on display. It's just emotional for me. You know, you wonder, where did he sit? You know, what was he doing? Although the crash happened during the Korean War, she said the military didn't consider it a combat loss, which, she believes, is why it was forgotten so quickly. Why? When they put their hand up, they're no different than the one who put this hand up and, and went missing in action. They're all the same. Treat us the same. She spent years writing letters to the military, documenting other planes lost in non-combat situations, to no avail. But in 2012 came a break. The Alaska Army National Guard, flying a training mission, spotted something in the spring melt on the glacier. It was as if the plane was reaching through the ice to be freed. Oh, how I danced, jumped up and down. I called my dad crying on the phone. I'm like, you won't believe it. And I said, they found your dad's plane. And he's like, no, they didn't. He goes, no, they didn't. He goes, it's somebody he just didn't else. Believe it. His luck wasn't that good, is what he said. But his luck was that good. And that meant it might be good for all family members left behind like Marsha Yan. I thought, oh, finally we'll have some closure here. She's the niece of Captain Jerome Goble. Marsha was only seven at the time of the crash. His nephew, Michael Mayer, wasn't even born. When they found it, it was like, well, here I have all these stories that I've heard and read, and now it's not just a story. Now it's real. Good morning, everyone. This is day nine of our recovery efforts at Colony Glacier. Every year since 2012, a multidisciplinary team based in Anchorage has been engaged in what is perhaps the longest-running recovery effort in the history of the U.S. Air Force. They come with buckets and patients during a brief weather window that the spring allows. At first glance, they wonder how they find anything. A lot of times, uh, they won't just jump out at you until it does. It's hard to explain. Aircraft the constant churning of the glacier reveals new items every year, while also concealing others. What you see here is what's left of that aircraft and their belongings. So it's incredibly personal. Back at the Air Mobility Command Museum, what the ice has been turning up is being preserved. There are shoes and caps and shaving brushes and a lot more. Oh, my gosh. So it's a personal camera that was recovered. Was there so film in it? I don't believe so. Eric Trewinski is the deputy director here. History is about people. 
And it's about their stories. It's a memory of them. It does. As it personal does. as they all are, none of these items could actually be traced to a specific service member. Only DNA can provide a scientific ID. And finding those precious fragments is part of the job of U.S. Air Force Captain Lindy Minot. We use forceps. Those are metal, and metal scraping rock is a different sound than metal scraping bone. The remains, bones sometimes as small as a fingernail, are flown to the Armed Forces Medical Examiner at Dover Air Force Base in Delaware for identification. Forensic scientist Tim McMahon is director of DNA operations here. It strikes me that some of the methods you're using now to identify these servicemen wouldn't have been around in the 50s. Absolutely. So this occurred in 1952. 1953 is when Watson and Crick defined DNA. But the technology has come far enough that less than a gram is now needed for a positive match. And that can be hugely comforting to the families. We develop methods to preserve parts of the bone because we don't know how much of each person we may recover. So if that's the only piece of that missing service member, the family gets something back. The last decade of searching has certainly paid off. 45 of the 52 service members aboard that C-124 that day have been identified. That includes Airman Isaac Anderson, Tanya Anderson-Dell's grandfather. He was finally identified from a single tooth. My father, he was just in awe because he watched his father come home after being missing for over 60 years. Back in that plane, we noticed around her neck two dog tags. They are her grandfather's. Both of them were retrieved from the ice as well. This was the last thing that was on my grandfather's neck. I don't want to cry. So... To have these, it makes every phone call, every letter, it makes it worth every hour. You know, every year. But for Marsha and Mick... We always were hoping that would, one of these times it would, Michael would be part of that. This shouldn't just stop. The search for their uncle, Captain Jerome Goebel, goes on. He's one of the seven, still locked somewhere in the ice. When they said that they had found more remains, I was, was so hopeful this year. It would be nice to have something, just to know that he didn't just vanish. The task force says as long as remains and artifacts are still being found, and as long as it's safe to do so, the mission on Colony Glacier will continue until all 52 are lost no more. Being able to find items that we're able to link or trace back to family members and provide that type of closure is honestly the best feeling in the world. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. 
She's one of our most accomplished journalists, a familiar figure in network, cable, and public television news. This morning, we're in conversation with Judy Woodruff with a look back on a storied career. I had a producer in, in Atlanta, the CBS affiliate, who said to me, nobody gives a damn what Judy Woodruff thinks when you go out to cover a story. They want to know what you learn. And that was ingrained in my head that I wasn't supposed to be part of the story. But Friday night, the PBS NewsHour anchor and managing editor was the story. After a decade as anchor of this extraordinary program, I've decided that the end of 2022 is the right time to turn this incredibly important job over to someone else. To be clear, however, I'm not retiring, uh, not doing the R word. I will end my anchoring time uh, covering politics in the United States. But what I hope to do is cover America. Judy Woodruff is a singular figure among her peers, soft-spoken and mild-mannered. What is your argument to the voter watching this debate tonight? Always respectful. What would be a compelling reason? But relentless. But Mr. President, with all due respect, what does it accomplish? I will tell you, Jane, I still get nervous sometimes when I'm interviewing a newsmaker. And I think it's a good sign because it means that I'm thinking my heart's pounding. Um, I may be sweating a little bit. That drive and determination come from a grandmother who worked three jobs to support a family, and her mother, who never finished high school. She said to me, you're going to get an education. You're going to go to college. And I was going to get that education. So it was just a given. In 1968, with a political science degree from Duke, Judy got a job in the newsroom of WQXI in Atlanta as a secretary. The news director meets me in the lobby. I'll never forget this scene. And so we had this long conversation. And then at the end, he said, okay, okay, you know, you have the job. So as I get up to leave and I say, thank you. And he said, well, of course, how could I not hire somebody with legs like yours? I keep, as I think about that moment, I think, why didn't I just turn on my heel and say, you know, guess what? (laughs) But if you had, you know, who would I be talking to right now? I wouldn't have the job. Hello, I'm Judy Woodruff. Advancing quickly from Weather Girl to local politics to network news, joining a generation of trailblazers, including Rita Braver, Andrea Mitchell, Leslie Stahl, Martha Teichner, the late Gwen Ifill. We are tough broads. We're not going away (laughs) quietly into the night. I think this generation of women, whatever it was in our DNA or whatever our mothers or fathers told us, you know, there's nothing you can't do. And things she could never have imagined. March 30th, 1981, outside the Washington Hilton, White House correspondent Judy Woodruff waited for President Reagan. I was maybe 20 feet on this side. And suddenly you hear this pop, pop, pop. And I could see people lying on the ground. History is made in a moment. Tonight, a vice presidential debate. She was a debate moderator for this one. And another notable moment of your career, the Benson Quayle debate. Jack Kennedy was a friend of mine. Senator, you're no Jack Kennedy. 
at which point the room just explodes. The room absolutely explodes. And of course, what, what happened was uh, the Dukakis-Benson ticket lost uh, in a, a big way to Bush Quayle. World War II. Like most of us during the pandemic, Woodruff worked from home. So this is the room, Jane, where I anchor the news hour. This is the library in our house for over a year. Bringing some two million viewers home to. You kept it together. How does someone do that? I had to be together. I had to be holding it together because there was just so much at stake. You can see the Washington Monument. Politics is her passion, but not her only one. She's an advocate for people with disabilities. Now 41, her first son, Jeffrey, was born with a mild case of spina bifida. But at 16, a surgical procedure went catastrophically wrong. Jeffrey was left unable to walk and with permanently impaired vision, hearing, and speech. Until you have a loved one, who is um, in a special place, especially hard place, you can't really know. But he's taught me um, that it's it, people with disabilities are people. They're just like us. They have feelings. They have heart. Few people have a perspective on America as long and comprehensive as Judy Woodruff. And she sees America in peril. In all the years I've covered politics, We've been divided. Republicans and Democrats disagree with each other. We debate each other. I say we. I, I put myself in the middle. They debate one another. We've covered it. And at 75, we'll tell you what Judy Woodruff thinks. Now we're at a point where we, we just seem to be on the verge of some kind of, you know, hopefully not a, a, a war where people are shooting weapons, but where people are shouting you say really, hopefully hopefully uh, that's not beyond i mean we are we are in a really angry moment in this country after 13 years she'll be stepping away from the anchor desk eager to be a reporter again i'd like to understand why we are so divided as a country why we are having such a hard time talking to each other um, how did we get to this place and why we are here where we are right now and can we heal? On this Veterans Day weekend, Steve Hartman on Brothers in Arms. Veterans Day was every day for 80-year-old Navy veteran Kenneth Jerry. To honor those who served, he used to visit this veterans park in Matomidi, Minnesota just about every morning until his mobility scooter broke. That was my life. So once the scooter broke down, you could not get to the no, memorial? No, I was very sad, depressed, depression. And then all that changed. All that changed? Believe me. It changed after he met a stranger in a coffee shop. Her name is Amanda Klein. Every moment you're talking with him, you feel like he cares about you and you want to know more about him. You know, it's just contagious. And she says you can't help, but help him. So after she heard about the broken scooter, Amanda started an online fundraiser. And within days, oh my Kenny got a brand new one. Oh, here we go. They presented me that scooter. Oh my goodness. 
I'll never forget it until the day I die. And not just one scooter, but a second super snazzy one. Kenny was set, but donations kept pouring in, and a guy can only use so many scooters. So he's now on a mission to take the kindness bestowed upon him and scoot it forward. Over the last year, Kenny and Amanda have donated more than 50 mobility scooters to veterans in need. Thank you, Kenny! The latest, a surprise for Vietnam veteran Dave Anderson. Dave's disability was getting in the way of walks with his grandson, but not anymore. Oh my This goodness. is for you. This is for me? What? Now you can do whatever you want. Mission accomplished. But Kenny's fight against immobility carries on. That's my goal and it will be until the day I die is to donate scooters to uh, servicemen and women. In the beginning, all Kenny wanted was a way to get down here to honor the fallen. God bless you and rest in peace. But thanks to the kindness of strangers, he now has a way to honor the living, too. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. A turkey for me, turkey for you. Let's eat turkey in a big brown shoe. Love to eat the turkey. It's Sunday morning on CBS, and here again is Jane Pauley. From Saturday Night Live to Hollywood and beyond, for a lucky few, it's the way to the top. And as Tracy Smith reminds us, few have taken it to greater heights than Adam Sandler. Bagel seems pretty mellow. Uh, bagel can be great. We met Adam Sandler and his bulldog Bagel near their home in Los Angeles. Whenever somebody says, can my dog say hello to your dog, I say it's not a good idea. But they do it anyways and then Bagel starts losing his mind. He says Bagel's basically a good guy who gets a little worked up now and again. And the same can probably be said for Adam Sandler himself. Here we go. In the Netflix film Hustle, he's Stanley Sugarman. A big league basketball scout who roams the earth looking for the next great pro ball player. 
he finds one in Spain. Look at this guy. Let's get to work. But getting him into the NBA turns out to be a brutal uphill climb. So I'm asking you now for something. Please help me. It seems like you're drawn to these characters who are unlucky, you could say losers. Right, right, right. What do you think yeah. that is? Oh man, I always liked them growing up. I liked pulling for somebody who needed something. Been in this league for 30 years and it's like, I'm nothing. I relate to all different types of people, but I enjoy playing these guys who are um, struggling. I like that. You like that. What is it about that? I guess uh, admire somebody who doesn't give up. Many of the players in Hustle, including the star, Juancho Hernan Gomez, are actual NBA ballers, so it all feels intense and real. How old is he? In other words, it's not your father's okay. Adam Sandler okay. film. Hustle's been critically acclaimed. You already are nominated for a bunch of awards. There's Oscar buzz. Do you try to tune that out? I'm not expecting it. I don't, I don't sit and watch my performance and go, I'm riveting, man. How the hell did I do that? I just, I'm proud of it. And if any of that stuff happens, that'd be great. If it doesn't happen, still everything's been pretty damn good. You like that, baby? Let him know where I came from, yeah! Seems like things have been good for Adam Sandler for a while now. In more than 30 feature films, he's built a career as the comic man-child, the guy you could always count on to melt down on cue. You want a Happy Meal? We'll get you one of those Happy Meals. You got a Happy Meal? Can we get a Happy Meal? Will somebody get you a Happy Meal? The funny stuff seems to come naturally, but Sandler's background is a bit more serious. One thing I think people might not know about you is that you went to NYU. You yeah. went to a serious acting yes, school. Yes, yes. I studied at Lee Strasberg Studios at NYU in the Tisch School of the Arts. I think I got there when I was 17. I started doing stand-up, so I would do school, serious stuff in the day. And at night, he'd work the New York comedy clubs. So, I mean, I finished a big book the other day, 421 pages. That's a lot of coloring, you know, when you think about it there. <laughs> Your yamaka, comes In 1990, at age 24, he hired on at Saturday Night Live. And by 94, he was a standout with bits like the Hanukkah song. Paul Newman's half Jewish and Goldie Hawn's half too. Put them together, what a fine looking Jew. <laughs> he was especially close to castmate Chris Farley, both on and off screen. You and Chris Farley. Were you bonded from the moment you met? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Everybody was with Farley. Anybody who knew him felt a massive love and connection with him. Me and Farley, Spade and Rock, we shared an office together. So we were with each other pretty much all the time. And Loved him. Farley died in 1997, but Sandler sings a tribute to his friend at every one of his shows. Plaid jacket and belt too tight, he wasn't even doing a bit. I remember the first night we played it, and I finished the first verse, and then I said something about talking about my friend Chris Farley. He was a one-man party. You know I'm talking about, I'm talking about my friend Chris Farley. And the place erupted, and 
No, you don't expect that. It's wonderful that you memorialized him that way. Yes, I, mean, I feel very proud of that. You know what I'm thinking about? Thinking about my boy Chris for me. Music has long been a part of Sandler's act on stage or screen. It could be so nice growing old with you. In 1998's The Wedding Singer, this song, Grow Old With You, was directed at Drew Barrymore. But the real love of his life is the actor playing the flight attendant in another movie. Planes have bars now, in first class. This is, man, I wish my mother was still alive to say that she was an alcoholic, but a nice one. Sir, if you don't return to your seat, I'm gonna have to call the cops. Jackie and Adam Sandler were married in 2003, and he closes his show with a song that now belongs to her. I got everything I want Growing old with you When you first played that for Jackie, what was it like? Man, I think I played it for her at a show, and she loved it. And it was sweet, real, and I love her. I want her to know that everywhere I go. In your life, how key is having that support, Jackie's support? Well, when she don't support me, if something's <laughs> off, I'm off. And at 56, Sandler's definitely on these days, touring, and it seems more popular than ever. In fact, he's been compared to a fine wine, getting better with each passing year. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't tell you I was going to do this. <laughs> That's so funny, man. Adam yeah. Sandler on the cover of AARP yeah. magazine. They asked me to be on the cover. What am I going to say no to these guys? They were nice people. So, but How does that feel to be? feels nice that my mother's friends can talk to me about something. <laughs> <laughs> and right now, in Adam Sandler's world, there's a lot to talk about. Do you want to be in the NBA? Yes! Well, let's make that happen. Never back down. So where are you now? Are you happy? Solid. Solid. That's at this minute. I'm solid. I can't say the whole day is going to be that way. I, I, at 9 o'clock this morning, I remember being a little nuts, a little off. Then came 10 o'clock, I was getting my makeup on for you. That drives me crazy, anybody touching my face. Then I saw Bagel, the dog, that felt good. I was nervous he was gonna bite another dog or a kid or something, so I got tense for a second. But then when I sat down with you, I, it all feels good, because well, we're talking about me. <laughs> it feels just fine. <laughs> Ava DuVernay is a remarkably successful filmmaker and producer. And as Mark Whitaker discovered, she's paying it forward, breaking barriers and building careers. In its seven seasons, the TV series Queen Sugar has explored modern flashpoints. What did you do? From Me Too and race relations. Go back to where you came from. To police brutality. Get out of the car. But at heart, it's a drama about three black siblings struggling to hold on to their late father's Louisiana sugar farm. I thought it best to make you an offer in person. I've been trying to communicate a core idea, and the core idea is that family in American television should not only mean white families. Ava DuVernay is the creator and an executive producer of Queen Sugar. 
Sopranos, Little House on the Prairie, The Waltons, uh, 30-something, Friday Night Lights. This is a family who plays football. This is a family who's in the mob. This is a family who owns a funeral home. Like, it goes on and on, but what are none of them black? We must stand up. We must make a massive demonstration of our moral certainty. DuVernay has long fought to add diversity to Hollywood, directing socially conscious works like Selma, and when they see us. It's real. Let's make sure she's all right. Ow! Yes, she's fine. What's it? We don't kick people. With A Wrinkle in Time, DuVernay became the first black woman to direct a live action film with a budget of more than $100 million. When it came to Queen Sugar, she saw another opportunity to make a statement. The series airs on OWN, the Oprah Winfrey Network. Ava called me up and said, you know, I have this idea that we should do all women directors. And I was, I was like, can we do that? Is, is that allowed? And I said, I don't, I don't know why we couldn't. And she says, you can do it. You can do it. It's your name on the network. If you say you want to do it, you can do it. And so I went, okay, let's do it. And you did it. And we did it. Studies show women direct just under one-fifth of broadcast television programs. Had any of you directed television before? No. No. Chaz Bennett, Aurora Guerrero, and Demaine Davis had all made independent films, but couldn't seem to get that next break. I've had every job you could ever do. I've I've bartended, I've worked in a fish cannery. When Ava gave me a call, I was uh, in a hard place. I was feeling a bit hopeless around my career and where it was going to go because I had never thought about television, to be honest with you. Uh, Before Queen Sugar, uh, I was a freelance copywriter in advertising in Boston, and um, I was directing commercials. The three became among the 42 women who have directed episodes of Queen Sugar. I had never thought of directing for television because In my experience, you have to have experience to get that job, and you can't get the job without experience. or like a catch-22. Yes, exactly, total catch-22. And I feel like that's something that I learned from Ava and this experience on Queen Sugar is how much I was actually limiting myself in my dreaming, my vision for myself. It's what people around Ava DuVernay have taken to calling the Ava effect. So in your words, what is the Ava effect? The Ava effect is every woman director who was brought onto the series went on to do multiple series and was brought into the fold of an industry that they had felt uh, for many years like they were outsiders. Changed everything. It like brought me a whole career that I didn't have before. And you feel confident <laughs> that that will continue? That I'm you're, you're, you're <laughs> As for DuVernay, she's putting her money where her motivation is. When I had a big, a nice payday uh, from directing a film, I decided to take that money and put it down payment. That was a wrinkle in time. Might have been a wrinkle in time. (laughs) Uh, But I decided to take that money and put it down on something that could really build a future for myself. She developed Array, a complex of workplaces in Los Angeles designed to increase diversity in the production and distribution of films. Does anything else quite like this exist in this town? 
Well, you know, here we incubate education. We have our database so that the overall industry can find uh, crew members of color and women crew mm. members. Mm. Um, we release films mm. by independent filmmakers of color and women mm. filmmakers. Uh, and so I don't, there are people that do bits and pieces of it all, but I don't know of any one place. One-stop shopping for, for your world. You can buy a lot of things here. <laughs> <laughs> the last episode of Queen Sugar airs this month. This is it. This is it. Last day, last moment. It might be that its major legacy is throwing down a challenge. In 94 years of television, there's just been one show mm. that was all directed by women. So, yeah. you know, we got to make 94 more. So, That's right. get to work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Historian Douglas Brinkley's latest book deals with the Silent Spring Revolution the dawn of the climate change movement. After a week that saw Hurricane Nicole batter the Florida coast, and President Biden in Egypt at the annual United Nations Climate Change Conference, Brinkley reminds us attention must be paid. While writing a history of Rachel Carson in the environmental movement of the 1960s and 1970s, I was bombarded daily with contemporary news flashes about human-caused climate change disasters. A new National Climate Assessment Draft Report released this past week warned that for a host of disturbing reasons, the United States has warmed 68% faster than the planet as a whole. Yet during our 2022 midterm elections, our climate chaos wasn't elevated as a top voter concern. That disappointed me. Back in the long 60s, three presidents from both parties had the courage to elevate ecological issues to the forefront of America's public square. The catalyst was Rachel Carson, whose 1962 book, Silent Spring, memorably linked Theodore Roosevelt-style nature preservation to backyard public health concerns. These sprays, dust, and aerosols have the power to kill every insect, the good and the bad, to still the song of birds and the leaping of fish in the streams and to linger on in soil. The advent of Silent Spring led to the federal government eventually banning leaded gasoline and DDT. Today, we need a Rachel Carson moment one that will wake up the masses to understand that climate change is the primary challenge of our time. Leaders from both parties need to work in tandem to offer American citizens an emergency climate change adjustment plan. Nothing less than the salvation of Earth as we know it is at stake. Thank you for listening. Please join us when our trumpet sounds again next Sunday morning. If you like CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Polly, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Brighten your mornings with CBS News Sunday Morning merchandise from paramountshop.com. Shop mugs, sweatshirts, and t-shirts to start your mornings with style. Take 20% off at checkout with code SUNDAY20 at ParamountShop.com. That's 20% off at checkout on all CBS News Sunday morning products with code SUNDAY20 at ParamountShop.com.